This podcast is a production of America Matters Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the America Matters Media Podcast Network by visiting americamatters.us. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review at your favorite place to download podcasts. The views expressed in this show do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers, although we think they should. But that's the opinion of America Matters Media. America spends five to ten times more on health care than any other country in the world. Then why does America rank number 43 worldwide for longevity? Third world countries such as Cuba and Costa Rica rank higher than the U.S. So what's wrong with health care in America? This is what's wrong. Our $3 trillion healthcare industry is focused on disease management, while 70% of our planet relies on traditional indigenous medicine that is focused on health optimization. Learn how. Join Dr. Dan Royal on the show, The Royal Treatment, bringing you the latest information on the best of medicine, biotechnology, and pharmacology, as well as secrets from the past. These secrets have withstood the test of time and are being rediscovered today. In fact, indigenous healthcare practitioners are using them for the benefit of their patients who seek optimal health and wellness. Now, here is Dr. Dan Royal. Please, listeners, I'm Dr. Dan Royal, R-O-Y-A-L, just like it sounds, Royal Blue. And I am here today again with another episode of The Royal Treatment. Thank you for joining us. We welcome our listeners from the Native Voice One Network. Thank you for joining us. We're here every week to answer your health questions. If you have a question, you can always email it to me. Send it to thbclinics.com, thbclinics, C-L-I-N-I-C-S, at gmail.com. Sorry, that's the email. Website is www.turtlehealingbandclinic.com. Dot com. That's where I practice. The Turtle Healing Man Clinic here in Las Vegas. You, should, you can also call us at 702-562-1454. Well, we'd like to thank the Turtle Healing Man Clinic, which is affiliated with the Crow Nation of Indians, or Crow Tribe of Indians, and the First Nation Medical Board, also affiliated with the Crow Tribe of Indians. Those entities are designed to protect, preserve, and promote the practice of traditional medicine. What is traditional medicine? Well, it includes all things alternative, holistic, complementary, and so forth. The opposite of what we do is conventional medicine, where drugs and surgery are used. And doctors like myself, if we want to help our patients be healthy, we need to use traditional forms of medicine, natural approaches, products, treatments, and so forth. And for this purpose, the First Nation Medical Board was created to provide that protection for those who need it. I'm talking about healthcare providers who need a board to regulate their practice of traditional medicine. It could be chiropractors, it could be naturopaths, acupuncturists, homeopaths, and so forth. Or it could be medical doctors like myself who need dual licensure. This means a doctor can practice both conventional and traditional medicine without being solely under the jurisdiction of his state medical board because no state in the country has exercised jurisdiction over the practice of traditional medicine. The federal government gave the Indians the right to do that and the Crow Nation has stepped up to exercise their jurisdiction and regulation over this practice of 
medicine. Hopefully, if you are a provider, you will be joining with us. We feel that if alternative medicine is to be saved, that it is through the protection of the Indian nation. Why do I say that? Well, we've only had a few states over the last 40 years that have actually had an alternative medical board. It included the states of Nevada, Connecticut, and Arizona. Connecticut lost its homeopathic board, followed by Nevada just this last year. Currently, the Arizona homeopathic medical board is under sunset review, and we'll see if they survive. If not, then we must use the First Nation Medical Board. This is for patients and their practitioners who are seeking optimal health and wellness. Well, what are we going to be talking about today? As always, we'll be reviewing obituaries, people who died just this last week, locally and internationally, too young from diseases they shouldn't have had. We'll talk a little bit about the coronavirus. It always helps to get some factual information. So many people are panicked and they are in fear because they are ignorant. So hopefully we can give you some facts to calm you down and to empower you with information you can use to be more informed and more proactive with your health. We're also going to talk about some studies that have been published recently regarding happiness, neurodegenerative diseases, and hopefully we'll finally get to concluding our discussion of the very important supplement, natto kinase, or natto kinase, an enzyme produced in Japan that helps improve your circulation, dissolve clots, and so forth. It's even better, in my opinion, than the prescription drugs used for anticoagulation. Well, let's get started with our obituaries. First, we'll look at some people locally who died just this past week too young from diseases they shouldn't have had. We actually have quite a long list of international celebrity notables coming up during the second part of our show. We have a 33-year-old man who passed away after suffering a major cardiac event while playing basketball. You might remember many years ago, a professional basketball player, Pete Maravich. He died after a similar event, having a heart attack while playing basketball. In fact, it happened when I was back in medical school. We have a 52-year-old man who passed away. Now, the reason we mention some of these is because the average life expectancy in the United States is about 78.7 years of age. That's as of the statistics that are in from 2018 after declining for four years in a row. We'll see where it went later in 2019. But that means the average age for women is about 81 and for men about hmm, 76. That's in the United States. We have a 50. Three-year-old man, a journeyman who passed away, a 54-year-old man passed away after a long and difficult illness, which is usually code for cancer. 66-year-old woman who worked as an elementary education teacher passed away unexpectedly. That means she died from a sudden heart attack or often referred to as sudden death syndrome. We have a 72-year-old woman, a secretary for a California state university. She died due to complications after surgery. We call that iatrogenic disease, that means hospital or doctor-induced, which actually is the number three cause of death in this country. 250,000 Americans die every year from drugs and surgery. And finally, we have a 76-year-old woman who passed away from cancer. Cancer, as you know, is becoming the number one cause of death in many industrialized nations and is about equal in the United States with 
heart disease. I'm Dr. Dan Royer, listening to The Royal Treatment. We're going to take a short break, but please, my friends, stay with us. More to come. Want to expand your advertising dollar? Sponsor this or any America Matters program by calling 775-827-8900, extension 2. Now, back to the show. We are back to the show. I'm Dr. Dan Royal, and you're listening to The Royal Treatment. Now, before the break, we were talking about obituaries. And as I mentioned, we have quite a long list of celebrity notables who died just this last week, too young from diseases they shouldn't have had, at least in my opinion. So let's get started. Let's see what's going on around the world. Zororo Makamba, Zimbabwean television journalist and broadcaster, died at 30 years of age from COVID-19. Now, COVID-19 is one of the names of the coronavirus. And one of the things that you should know is we do not have specific testing for the virus. And we're going to talk about that a little later in the program. And so when someone is diagnosed with a coronavirus, it could be any one of seven strains. We have it with us all year long. They cause common colds and flus and cold sores. So we don't know if they're dying from COVID-19, which is one of the seven or one of the other strains, unless the test is specific for that strain. Peter Whittingham, English soccer player, died at 35 years of age due to complications from a traumatic brain injury. Actually, he fell in a pub while drinking. Moon Ji-yeon, South Korean actor, died at 36 years of age from acute sepsis. That means he had an infection throughout his entire body, usually originating in the bloodstream, or it could be in the lungs, but it got into his bloodstream. Serena Liu, Taiwanese dancer and actress, died at 44 years of age due to complications from heart surgery. She was 44, another iatrogenic disease, cause of death. Black and Mild, American bounce music DJ, died at 44 years of age from COVID-19. Jerome Hanquez, French tennis player, died at 46 years of age after a long illness. Sasha Weiss, Austrian actor, died at 49 years of age from a heart attack. National Wooden, an American drag performer, died at 50 years of age from COVID-19. Jörg Zeltner, Swiss banking executive, died at 52 years of age from a brain tumor. Vittoria Delita, Italian politician and senator, died at 53 years of age from cancer. We have Don Manning, American politician, member of the Ohio House of Representatives, died at 54 years of age after having chest pains. He presented to the hospital and he didn't make it. Roger Mayweather, American boxer trainer and former featherweight and super lightweight champion, died at 58 years of age. Erwin Drez, Belgian comic book artist, died at 59 years of age from brain cancer. Piotr Palukicius, that's a Polish Catholic priest, a retreat preacher and writer, died at 59 years of age. Saskia Post, American-born Australian actress died at 59 years of age from cardiac arrest. Eileen Baviera, Filipino academician, died at 60 years of age from COVID-19. Paul Kasman, 60, American art gallerist, died of cancer. Manuel Namajo Bissau, Guinean former president, died at 61 years of age. Hamad 
Karam. Iranian politician at 62 years of age from COVID-19, Shapi Kaziev, Russian writer and playwright at 63 years of age after a long illness. And again, that usually means cancer. Don't know why they can't just say it. It would actually be helpful to know what type of cancer. Branko Sikatik, Croatian heavyweight kickboxer, died at 65 years of age after his long illness. Arvo Sarapu, Estonian politician, deputy mayor of Tallinn, died at 66 years of age after a long and serious illness. Arulis Mabeli, Congolese singer and composer, died at 66 years of age from stroke and COVID-19. Which is it? One or the other? I think we're going to see a lot of people being diagnosed with COVID-19 now that we're testing for it. Perwan Yatsen, Indonesian actress, died at 67 years of age from cervical cancer. Kenneth Kafui, Ghanaian composer, died at 68 years of age. Petru Bogatu, Moldavian journalist and writer, died at 68 years of age from cancer. Benny Malone, American professional NFL football player, died at 68 years of age from complications of diabetes. Ventila Mihalescu, Romanian anthropologist, died at 68 years of age from leukemia. That's a bloodborne type of cancer. Inocenzo Donina, Italian soccer player, died at 69 years of age from COVID-19. Francois Dumas, French comic book artist, died at 7 years of age after a long illness. William Outen, member of the Delaware House of Representatives, died at 71 years of age after being hospitalized for a week. Cause of death unknown. Miranda, Countess of Stockton, British socialite and model, died at 72 years of age after a short illness. Remember, cancer can be long, but it can be short. Singaram Balasingam, Malaysian field hockey player, died at 72 years of age after battling colon cancer. Kevin Taylor, English rugby league footballer, died at 70 years of age after being found dead in his home. It's theorized that he died quickly. Uh, although he was there alone for some time before he was discovered by his neighbors. Johnny Bonners, Belgian actor, died at 74 years of age from cancer. Giovanni Romanini, Italian cartoonist, died at 74 years of age from a heart attack. We have Maximo Hernandez, Spanish soccer player and manager, died at 74 years of age after being sick for a long time. E. Hari Kumar, 76 years old, Indian novelist, died from various ailments. Jose Fulgado, Spanish president of the Spanish electrical system, died at 75 years of age from COVID-19. Horst Felbermeyer, Austrian racing driver, died at 75 years of age after a serious illness. Visu, Indian film director, writer, and actor, died at 75 years of age after an age-related illness. And of course, there are many of those. I'm not sure what that would be. Francesco Pavone, Italian magistrate, died at 75 years of age from COVID-19. Lorenzo Sanz, president of Real Madrid Soccer Club, died at 76 years of age from the new coronavirus, another name for COVID-19. Denise Bradley, Australian academic administrator, died at 77 years of age after her battle with cancer. Edward Limonov, Russian writer, poet, and political dissident, died at 77 years of age due to complications from surgery or iatrogenic disease. Gino Volpi, Italian singer-songwriter, died at 77 years of age from a heart attack. Richard Tracy, British politician, member of parliament, died at 77 years of age suddenly. Sudden death syndrome. Antonino Stanca, Italian geneticist, died at 77 years of age from COVID-19. Stefan Schwartz, American pathologist at the University of Washington, died at 78 years of age from COVID-19. 
Sergio Trinidad, Brazilian scientist, member of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, died at 79 years of age from COVID-19. Hsiao Feng Hussein, a Taiwanese operatic singer and actress, died at 79 years of age from complications of diabetes. And finally, Malcolm Yardley, a British 1960 Olympic sprinter, died at 79 years of age after a short illness. Well, I mentioned that the coronavirus has multiple names. You just heard many people allegedly died from the COVID-19, meaning it was discovered in 19, the coronavirus. It goes by the new coronavirus, novel coronavirus. It also goes by CCP, which means Communist Chinese Communist Party virus or the Chinese virus. And it goes by another name called sars cov cov 2 In other words, as I mentioned earlier in the program, there are seven different strains of coronaviruses. Did you know that? Well, there are. And most of them are completely innocuous. In other words, there are two strains of the alpha coronavirus. There are two strains of the beta coronavirus. Now, these are common the world round, and humans get infected with them all year Long. What do they cause? Well, common colds, flus, cold sores, and so forth. So when people are being tested and they're found to be positive for the coronavirus, which strain is it? Because there are three other strains. Now, the one you don't hear about much is the MERS virus, coronavirus. This is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and that's endemic there. Then we have the SARS coronavirus. That's the one that caused problems years ago. And finally, we have the SARS coronavirus 2. This is the remake of SARS, or SARS, which is making its way around the world, currently known as COVID-19. So we have three strains that are pathogenic, and we have four strains that are relatively innocuous in that they might actually be part of someone's normal flora. So, for example, there were a couple of professional basketball players for the Utah Jazz. They were both found to be positive for the coronavirus, but the testing wasn't specific for COVID-19. Most likely, it was one of the alpha or beta subtypes. They were quarantined. They never got sick. They they felt perfectly well, even though they were quarantined. They were ready to go back and play basketball, but nobody was having it. And the entire NBA has now been shut down. I'm sure you all know that. Well, we've had coronaviruses with us for some time. They were identified back in the 1960s. So we've been dealing with this for 60 years. It's not a new problem. It's just one we never tested for. When people got the flu, we just assumed it was one of the strains of influenza. For example, we have six different strains here in Clark County where I live. But it can also be caused by other organisms such as coronavirus. Well, we have a few other things we'd like to talk about in relation to this, and we will right after the break. But what you need to know, there are many things that can be done to treat acute colds and flus, even possibly the coronavirus. I have a sister who's a nurse, and she worked in a acute care facility the other day. They had 15 kits for testing of the coronavirus, but they were overwhelmed with patients 99 came, and they eventually had to close the doors. They were instructed to send patients to the hospital if they had any symptoms, like fever and cough. And guess where you're most likely to get coronavirus? If you said the hospital, you're correct. 
I'm Dr. Dan Royer. Listen to The Royal Treatment. We're going to continue our discussion right after the break. Please stay with us. Unable to listen to the whole show? A recording of today's program will be available later today. Visit americamatters.us and click on the podcast link. Now, back to the show. We are back to the show. I'm Dr. Dan Royal, and you are listening to The Royal Treatment. And if, my friends, you wish to send an email to me, you can do so. Send that email to thbclinics at gmail.com. thbclinics, C-L-I-N-I-C-S at gmail.com. Or call us here at the Turtle Healing Bank Clinic, 702-562-1454. Before the break, we were talking about the coronavirus. I said, you're most likely to get it by going to the hospital or being around sick people that may be infected with it. We talked about that last week because some of the people who died last week, some of these celebrity notables, got the COVID-19 after they went to the hospital. So that's something to be aware of. Now, typically, the people who are investing in their health are being proactive by taking things that can help improve their immune function are the least likely to be infected by the coronavirus. And I'm talking about any of the seven strains. We know that immune compromised people are the most at risk and that the younger generation at this time are virtually immune to it. That's are talking about children 18 or less. They tend to be healthier than the older population. One of the things that we offer to our patients is some information about hydrochloric acid therapy. It was a free booklet that was published back in 1935. And if you're interested, well, just contact us. We'll make sure that you get a copy. But I summarized it and put it into a two-page handout, which is also quite interesting. Now, there are other therapies that can be used to treat acute colds and flus and possibly even this coronavirus, such as ultraviolet light or ultraviolet irradiation of the blood. We do that in our clinic. Ozonation of the blood or oxygenation, that can be done with ozone or with hydrogen peroxide. Intravenously, we do that in our clinic. And even pulsing electromagnetic fields have been shown to treat infections such as Lyme disease, hepatitis, and herpes. It may be effective or found to be effective for coronavirus. We'll just have to wait and see. But here's a couple of interesting cases I want to share with you about hydrochloric acid therapy. Now, we're talking about dilute hydrochloric acid. Yes, it's the acid that's in your stomach, but it's also very effective in treating infections. We knew 100 years ago through experiments in animals and humans that it increased your white blood cell count. Now, it partially does this by introducing a stimulant into the venous system. Also, it can be given intramuscularly. And it was theorized that it helped improve your acid-base balance. Here's a case of scorpion bites. There were three persons poisoned by the same scorpion at the same time. Now, these people lived in a remote area, and it was not the United States. The man was bitten first, and his he, be, he became comatose and indicated that he had received a large dose of venom. And this is a poisonous scorpion. He was given two cc's of 5% hydrochloric acid. The wife, second in order of biting, was conscious, but her pharyngeal muscles and tongue were already paralyzed. I mean, she was having trouble breathing. Her throat was swollen. The physician gave her three cc's of a solution of the 1 to 500 concentration. And there was also a six-week-old baby, the third in line of 
biting from the scorpion, was inert, limp, unable to move or even to cry, just moaning. Physician gave him hydrochloric acid solution, but only one half cc of the one to thousand concentration. All injections were given intramuscularly. The next morning at 6 a.m., all three were reasonably well. He gave all of them half of their previous doses of HCL or hydrochloric acid solution injection. They spent the day in the bed, baby sleeping all day, and the third day, all of them were well up, baby nursing healthy. That is just one example of what hydrochloric acid can do. Here's an example that I personally experienced in my own practice. Now we're going back about almost 30 years. In 1990, I began using dilutant hydrochloric acid, 1 to 500 dilution, as an additive in my intravenous chelation therapy solution as the Torrance Company in Portage, Michigan, had informed me about the fact that HCL supports a patient's immune function by increasing white blood cell production. In 1993, when I was practicing in a rural clinic near Coryville, Pennsylvania, a patient came to me complaining of having flu symptoms for two weeks' duration. I decided to give the patient both an intravenous and intramuscular injection of HCL, hydrochloric acid. The intramuscular injection was mixed with the patient's blood to create a 1 to 5 homeopathic dilution and given in the contralateral buttocks. Within 24 hours, the patient was completely recovered from the flu. Thereafter, I continued using HCL in this manner for acute colds and flus in children and adults with the same results in that my patients fully recovered within 24 to 36 hours following the injections. And finally, one more case I thought you might find of interest. This involved smallpox. The health department sent a physician some 10,000 doses of lymphatic vaccines, as he called them, but his supply gave out. So a thought came to him, try HCL solution, and he used it, not only in persons already affected by the disease, but also as a prophylactic or preventive. The hydrochloric acid solution injected certainly did an excellent service on this occasion, as no death occurred among any of the patients that he treated with the hydrochloric acid solution. Now, that was during a smallpox epidemic. Well, let's get back to the coronavirus. I thought you might find this of interesting. Remember, we said it goes by many names. We have COVID-19. We have the new or novel coronavirus. We have the SARS coronavirus type 2. And we also have the CCP virus or Chinese Communist Party virus. The number of Chinese cell phone users recently dropped by 21 million in the past three months. Beijing authorities announced on March 19th this was, in fact, the case. Deaths due to the CCP, or Chinese virus, may have contributed to the high number of account closings. Cell phones are an indispensable part of life in China. The digitization level is very high in China. People can't survive without a cell phone. As one of the U.S.-based commentators told the Epic Times from where the story comes, this was actually reported on March the 22nd, so it's very recent. Dealing with the government for pensions and Social Security, buying train tickets, shopping, no matter what people do, they're required to use cell phones. The Chinese regime requires all Chinese to use their cell phones to generate a health code. Only with the green health code are Chinese allowed to move in China. Now, it's impossible for a person to cancel his cell phone. China introduced mandatory facial scans on December the 1st, 2019, to confirm the identity of the person who registered the phone. As early as September 1st, 2010, China required all cell phone users to register phones with their real identification. That's something that's coming up here in Nevada that everybody has to have later this fall. 
by which the state can control people's speech via its large-scale monitoring system. Furthermore, Chinese people's bank accounts and social security accounts are bundled with their cell phone plans. Apps on Chinese phones check SIM cards against the state's database to make sure the number belongs to the user. Beijing first launched cell phone-based health codes on March the 10th. All people in China must install a cell phone app and register their personal health information. Then the app can generate a QR code, which appears in three colors, to classify the user's health level. Red means the person has an infectious disease. Yellow means the person might have one, and green means the person doesn't. Beijing claimed the health codes are intended to prevent the spread of the CCP virus, commonly known as novel coronavirus. At present, we don't know the details of the data. If only 10% of the cell phone's accounts were closed because the users died because of the CCP virus, the death toll would be 2 million. But 21 million cell phone users have dropped off the grid. The reported death toll in China doesn't seem to line up with what can otherwise be determined about the situation there. A comparison with the situation in Italy also suggests that Chinese death toll is significantly underreported. Italy adopted similar measures to those used by the Chinese regime. The CCP virus death toll in Italy was, or as of this reporting, 4,825. That translates to a death rate of 9%. In China, where a much larger population was exposed to the virus, the reported death toll of 3,265 translates to a death rate of only 4%, less than half that reported in Italy. Activities in the outbreak epicenter of Hubei province seem to contradict the reported death toll in China. The seven funeral homes in the city of Wuhan reported to be burning bodies 24 hours a day, seven days a week in late January. Hubei province has used 40 mobile cremators, each capable of burning five tons of medical waste and bodies a day since February 16th. Lacking data, the real death toll in China is a mystery. The cancellation of 21 million cell phones provides a data point that suggests the real number may be far higher than the official number. No surprise there. The reporter of this story refers to the novel coronavirus, which causes the disease COVID-19, as the CCP virus because the Chinese Communist Party's cover-up and mismanagement of this affair allowed the virus to spread throughout China and create a global pandemic. I should also mention, if you don't know this, that the countries of Italy and Iran which had the uh, high levels of COVID-19 cases and death rates, were all doing business with China in China when the outbreak occurred. So that partly explains why we're seeing similar problems in those countries. Now, we talk about some of the things that might be used. Of course, everybody's waiting for the medicine cure, but HIV drugs have not been found to be effective for the treatment of the coronavirus. The World Health Organization initially said that people should not even take ibuprofen or Motrin. Of course, they have since retracted that. And of course, there are many people racing to develop a vaccine. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about why vaccines are problematic, and we're going to use a very recent example involving polio. I'm Dr. Deanne Royer. You're listening to The Royal Treatment. Our purpose today, my friends, is to empower you with information that you can use to make better informed healthcare decisions. There are many things you can do to stay healthy. And it could be as simple as taking vitamin C or elderberry, or it could be using something such as homeopathic flu or even hydrochloric acid injections, which you talked about earlier. 
We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. Stay with us. To join the conversation, call 844-790-TALK. That's 844-790-8255. Now back to the show. Back to the show. I'm Dr. Dan Royal, and you're listening to The Royal Tribute. We're now in the fourth quarter of our show, and there are some things we need to talk about. Certainly, we're going to talk about the vaccine I mentioned before the break, the polio vaccine, and how that has recently become somewhat problematic. And we also want to share a study about the report or results from the 2020 World Happiness Report. There are some other things we'd like to talk about, but we may not get to today. We wanted to talk about how stress-related disorders and blood pressure contribute to neurodegenerative diseases and finish our discussion regarding natural kinase, the natural enzyme that we use for our patients to help improve their blood flow, circulation, and so forth. Let's just see how far we can get. Now, remember, if you need to contact me, if you have a question, we answer all of our emails, either on the air or off the air. You can email me directly at thbclinics at gmail.com. THB, that stands for Turtle Healing Band, and then clinics, plural, C-L-I-N-I-C-S at gmail.com. Or call us here directly at 702 562-1454-702-562-1454. We have lots of products, lots of therapies to help you maximize your optimal health and wellness so that you don't get sick, regardless of what virus is circulating at any time of the year. Well, a team of researchers from the UK, Switzerland, and the US, and the Congo has found that there is an urgent need to combat a vaccine-derived polio virus. In their paper published in the journal Science, the group describes their study of the vaccine-derived virus and what they found. Polio in the wild comes in three varieties, type 1, 2, and 3. Simple enough, type 2 was eradicated in the wild approximately five years ago. But the vaccine caused a lingering problem. A vaccine-derived mutant virus that spreads like a wild-type polio virus and can also paralyze infected people. The vaccine called OPV2 was withdrawn from use soon after it was found that its use caused a mutant virus. But the vaccine-derived polio virus lives on. And the only way to prevent people from being infected with it is by vaccinating them with OPV2. But reintroducing it will lead to the development of more mutant viruses. For this reason, the researchers note a new vaccine is needed. No surprise there, just like when they report a study more Research is needed, which means more money is required. The study involved running statistical models to show how the mutant poliovirus is likely to spread if a new vaccine is not developed and put into use soon. They found that the virus first appeared sometime between 2016 and 2019. That's a three-year span by the time it was discovered. Since that time, the Global Polio Laboratory Network has identified 859 instances of the virus infecting people in 26 countries. They further found that approximately 65.5% of the infections occurred after a time that has come to be called the switch. When health workers switched from using two different vaccines to inoculate people against type 1 and type 3 polio to a single vaccine that was effective against both types. Altogether, they identified 62 post-switch events and 41 outbreaks of the mutant poliovirus. 
health officials fought these outbreaks by reintroducing OPV2, which resulted in setting off more mutant polio outbreaks. The researchers suggest it is possible that the polio vaccine currently used for types 1 and 2 also possess a risk of instigating mutant polio outbreaks, and a new type of vaccine is therefore needed, one that is not so easily able to mutate. They note that the new OPV2 vaccine is currently undergoing phase 2 clinical trials, and while it is based on the same idea of introducing a mild form of the virus to force the body to build up an immunity, it is more genetically stable and thus less apt to mutate. The problem is the mutated poliovirus is already out there multiplying and being disseminated in at least 26 countries. So vaccines are not always as safe as they say. Of course, we know that there can be all kinds of reactions, short-term and long-term. The best immunity is a good offense as opposed to living in fear and expecting the defense to come to your rescue when the inevitable happens. Well, now let's turn our focus to something a little more positive. Let's review the results from the 2020 World Happiness Report. It seems at an odd time to release a report ranking which countries are the happiest. After all, who can really be happy during a global pandemic? But according to the authors of the 2020 World Happiness Report, an annual survey of how satisfied people worldwide are with their lives is precisely the right moment to consider why Finland, once again, made the top of the list. The Finns, who so pride themselves on their stoicism that they have a word for their natural, or I should say national grit, have been named the happiest people in the world for the third year in a row. The distinction has confused the Finns themselves, but it turns out that happiness, at least as it's defined in the report, is not a function of how well you express your emotions. Rather, it is a measure of general satisfaction with life, and more important, the confidence that one lives in a place where people take care of one another, said the editor of the report. His name is John Hellowell. Happy people wouldn't have the highest smile factor, he said. They do trust each other and care about each other, and that's what fundamentally makes for a better life. There are lessons, or these are lessons, Americans, whose ranking has fallen to number 18, down from a peak of number 11 in 2012. The first year the World Happiness Report was published may need to heed at a time when people are hoarding food, afraid of losing their jobs distrustful of government's response and generally terrified that the virus will kill them or their loved ones, it is likely to be the case that we will come through this better if we hold our social connections together, said a professor at Columbia University, who's also the director of the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network, which published the annual report. We can't fight this epidemic just at the individual level. We need a lot of shared actions. It is easy to chalk up the strong sense of overall well-being in Nordic times to their wealth and fairly homogenous populations, the Columbia professor acknowledged. His name is Jeffrey Sachs. Rich countries are definitely happier than poor countries, he said. It's no joy to be poor. But unlike the United States, where there is a loss of faith in institutions and has dovetailed with the drop in happiness reported by Americans, people in Scandinavian countries believe in one another and their governments. It's part of 
was deteriorated in the United States, Professor Sachs said. This idea that we're all in this together, that's really being tested. We're going to have to find out that common sense or shared responsibility is needed to pull us through the crisis. In Finland, 91% of the survey respondents reported being satisfied with their president. 86% they trust the police. Our president's lucky if he can get 50%. Thus, in the current crisis, people are willing to follow instructions and trust that everyone will do their part. A Finnish philosopher who contributed to the report said in an email, every time the president or prime minister holds a public speech about the issue, the overwhelming response is one of trust and commitment. The philosopher, his name is Frank Martella, added that the Finns were volunteering in large numbers to go to the grocery store for others and to start campaigns to help artists and other people whose livelihoods are threatened by the crisis. People are stating and feeling that we are in this together, he said. Nordic countries round out four of the five happiest places to live, according to the study, which examines Gallup poll data of 1,000 people from each of the 153 countries over a three-year period. The report ranks each country based on the average result of the polls. Respondents in each country are asked a basic question. It is essentially, imagine that life is a ladder, with the bottom rung being the worst life you can imagine, and the top rung being the best life you can imagine. Where are you on the ladder? That is the question. Finland is followed by Denmark, Switzerland, Iceland, and Norway. The study grew out of a 2011 resolution passed by the United Nations General Assembly that called on governments to give more importance to happiness and well-being in determining how to achieve and measure social and economic development. Over the years, the study has examined how social media, migration, differences in well-being, inequality, and other factors affect levels of happiness. This year, the study ranked cities around the world by their reported sense of well-being. Not surprisingly, the happiest city in the world is... Helsinki, the capital of Finland. According to Catherine Sanderson, a professor at Amherst College who has written about happiness, the report is a call to American institutions to study happiness the way they analyze SAT scores, obesity rates, and the gross domestic product. Perhaps the most important thing about this report is that it says we should care about happiness, she said. This is something we should measure. That may be how the United States can finally begin climbing the ranks. The first step to ask is, why is there a world happiness report? Maybe it's because happiness matters. Well, I'm Dr. Dan Royal. You've been listening to The Royal Treatment today. And as always, I'm so glad that you joined us and stuck with us to the bitter end. Remember, there's so much that we can do, and a positive mental attitude is part of our well-being and health. We have to not only have a positive attitude, we have to have hope. And then we have to take action. It's not enough to simply wish for something to happen. We need to then put it into motion. I like the man who once said that... When he prays, he prays as if it's all up to God. And then he goes to work as if it's all up to me. Well, we'll be back again next week with another episode of The Royal Treatment. And we'll pick up where we left off and talk about the things I couldn't quite get to today. But until then, my friends, I pray that you will all be well. <laughs>